What's kind of ironic to me is that John Newton, who wrote arguably uh, one of the most well-known songs in all of history, Amazing Grace, was complaining about a piece of music, which is one of the most famous pieces of music in history, Handel's Messiah. And Newton, the pastor, was very concerned that though the Messiah was chock full of truth, similar to Amazing Grace, uh, that people were caught up more in terms of the music and therefore the entertainment as opposed to the truth that it contained. And so what Newton did was began to do a, a series of sermons that is found in uh, volume three of his works, going through the various texts that Handel used in the course of the peace of the Messiah. And so uh, that brings us, since I'm following a similar pattern, uh, I'm not just, of course, uh, doing Handel, not Handel's sermons, uh, Newton's sermons, uh, but I'm following his plan and idea. We're at Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Let's pray. Light of the world, you have shone into darkness. You have come to bring truth and life to people like us. Help us to see the truth and to enjoy the life that you bring. Help us to understand, to believe, and to love the truth that is found in this passage of Scripture as you illuminate it and as you sanctify us through it by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, of course, grew up in the Northeast, and it's similar, uh, I would imagine, in some ways, uh, to growing up in Michigan, where a lot of you grew up. And uh, by that, I mean that not only is it cold, but the days are short and the nights are long. And even though my wife teases me about how Italian I really am, one of the things that matters is I need sunlight. Desperately. And even on those bright sunny days in the, in the winters of New England, um, you're so covered up trying to fight off the cold that that good vitamin D from the sun really can't get much of your body. And so, uh, like many people up north, I would struggle with seasonal affective disorder. As I think about that, I kind of wonder, what if the darkness stayed? What if there weren't those hours of daylight in the course of the day? 
And what if I was in a place more like Alaska, where you get nothing during the day for months at a time? Darkness is not our friend. Darkness is another one of the metaphors that Isaiah is going to use to try and communicate the dire circumstances of God's people and the incredible need for the servant of the Lord to come. And last week, we talked about the reality of a ruined people in a ruined place. And today, we're talking about darkness. And we're not going to just talk about it today, but next week we're going to also talk a bit about darkness. Well, how is darkness a problem in this promise of hope? So we're going to begin by not looking at verse 1, but by looking at verse 2 to answer this question. Now, as we look at this whole text, these, well, these three verses, these amazing, these three verses, there's a lot of shifts in verb tenses, okay? Uh, There's some stuff that's the perfect tense, and there's stuff that's the future tense. There's not much that's the present tense. And sometimes the same thing is spoken of in a perfect or past tense and as well as a future tense. And as we look at the beginning of this particular verse, I want us to recognize that in most translations of the scriptures, uh, this is placed in the future, uh, but in translations like the old NIV, as well as the NLT, it's the present. And so, for behold, darkness shall cover, or currently covers, the earth. Let's go back to the beginning for a second. Because darkness is not a new thing. Darkness is not a simply future thing. Darkness is something that was there in the beginning. But we see at the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And one of the things we notice is that darkness covered the face of the deep. Physical darkness covered what had already been brought into existence and that God was soon going to deal with that. Darkness. Darkness can be physical, but darkness can also represent things. And there in Genesis, part of what it represents is chaos. That formless and without void thing. But there's also chaos. Chaos, precisely because darkness provides cover for people who do evil things. Whether it's armies that move and change position so they can attack before dawn, or whether it's thieves who slink around in the shadows looking for a house to which they can break into and steal things. Darkness is filled with chaos. Isaiah continues, thick darkness implied either will cover or covers, because it's parallel, okay, the peoples. 
This word that is translated thick darkness has the idea of perhaps clouds. So it's not just dark, but now you have clouds that have removed the sources of light from above that that exist in the stars, in the moon. This is a thick, thick darkness. The way I think about it is is from times I've gone into caves, not like a little shallow kind of cave. But when I was single, we would go up to Tennessee, and we'd do rock climbing, and we'd also one day, we would go into this cave, and we would descend into this cave. And eventually you would go to where you could not see the light anymore. You were wrapped in darkness, and the only light that you had is the light that you brought with you. And if you turn that light off, it becomes impenetrable. You can see the shadow of nothing. It's an overwhelming kind of darkness. It it brings confusion. It brings fear. It brings disorientation. Because you don't know where anything is. You don't know what you're going to step on or step over or step into. You don't know what you're going to bonk your head into, who you'll trip over or anything like that. That is the kind of darkness that Isaiah is talking about here. This thick darkness that nothing can penetrate. What is the source of this darkness? Because he's speaking not simply of something physical, but I believe he's speaking of spiritual darkness. Well, it starts internally, But it doesn't stay internal. It moves externally. And and by this, I mean one. We see this in Romans 1. People have exchanged the truth for a lie. And because of that, what happens is their thinking became futile and their understanding became darkened. And so there there resides within individuals spiritual darkness, ignorance, uh, the inability to comprehend things, uh, a thinking process that always and continually goes awry uh, due to futility. It has been subjected to futility just as our work was subjected to futility in Genesis 3. And as a result of this, not just individuals, but societies begin to embrace lies, partial truths, complete falsehoods. We see this in many ways. I'm just going to name a few. But one is the proneness of humanity to conspiracy theories. Another is the polarization of media that takes place, where it becomes more about pursuing agendas than following facts, where both sides of of the aisle, so to speak, are more, more offering opinions than investigative report in reality. So I'm not picking on one side of the media. I'm picking on all of it, okay? So don't call, I don't want to hear about Steve's getting political. Okay, because it's a human problem. 
but it's a human problem that begins to say, who can I trust, who can I listen to? Because people embrace lies. It's also seen in the, pro, uh, the proliferation of false gods. Uh, we see it in the, in the ancient days uh, with all of the different pantheons of gods. You know, the, the Babylonians had a bunch of gods, and uh, of course the Assyrians had a lot of similar gods, as well as the, the Palestinians, the, otherwise known as the Canaanites. Well, Egypt and Greece had their gods, right? They were the same gods, different names. Uh, but there's this whole family of gods. Uh, that's part of, a, it's a, an example of the exchanging the truth for a lie and believing falsehoods. But let's not think it's just them who create these false gods. We can have all kinds of false notions about gods, about the God, rather, the true God. We can lapse into deism, this idea that God, yeah, sure, he's the creator, but you know what? That's all he did. He doesn't care about the care of this world, and there is no savior. And there's a lot of people who believe that. The modern form of that is therapeutic moralistic deism. Where God, God exists, he, he, he is involved, but he's involved essentially to make me happy, to make me feel good. And as long as I follow the right moral code, that's what's going to happen. But aside from the other stuff, God's really not engaged in that. And so uh, this spiritual darkness is responsible uh, not, uh, not just for falsehood amongst people, but for the lies we believe with respect to whether or not there's a God and who that God actually is. Again, a different form of understanding this Internally, moving to the external, we see that not only is, does the, the sin affect the mind, but the spiritual darkness affects the heart, the corruption, and the pollution that is created by sin. And that be, then that moves externally into the practice of sin, and that is seen as darkness. Uh, we see that in Isaiah 59, for instance. Verse 9, therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness. For the brightness, but walk in gloom. And so there in Isaiah 59, which is setting up what we see here in Isaiah 60, the wickedness of God's people has brought with it this attendant darkness and gloom that they experienced. How do we see this even now? The approval, calling that which is sin good and calling that which is actually righteousness evil. Not only in a reversal of morality, but we also see it in this persistent rejection of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about this text, we should recognize that for Isaiah, the darkness was past creation. The darkness was present, 
okay, the result of their sin, but the darkness was also going to be future. And it's the same thing for us. That darkness is past, it's present, and it's indeed going to be future, at least for part of the future, not forever. But we have to recognize that there is no human ability uh, to end the darkness. Uh, Just as Israel couldn't fix the darkness, uh, just as Egypt or Babylon or all of the great civilizations of that period of time could not fix the darkness, neither can we. Precisely because of what Jesus says in John 3. Right on the heels of the great passage of God's love in providing a Savior for humanity, we find two verses, uh, three verses later in verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's a problem we can't fix because ultimately it's a problem of the heart. And we can't fix the heart. And so darkness conceals chaos and sin. Well, if we can't fix it, who can fix it? Is it fixable? Is it resolvable? Well, Isaiah is about to offer hope to his people. So what hope does he declare? And we see this in in verses 1 and 2. Again, uh, in terms of physical darkness, we we think of Genesis 1, uh, the darkness that was covering the face of the deep. Well, God answered that with physical light by saying, let there be light. And there was light. Well, in terms of the spiritual darkness, we see that there is continually throughout Scripture, a light is used as a picture of redemption, answering to the spiritual darkness. And we find that right here in this passage as well. Your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Uh, There's this idea, this picture that Isaiah wants the people who hear this to to grasp, and that is like the picture of the sun arising to chase the night away. I really, I don't often see the sun rises in Tucson. I am not a morning person. But when I see them, they're, they're better than the sun rises in other places. Precisely, I think, because of the reality of the mountains in the east. Because the the sun is up. And you can see the light shining over these mountains. And then gradually coming down into the valley. And it's it's just a beautiful picture to me of of what Isaiah is trying to communicate here. Night is transitioning to day as this glory, the glory of the Lord, is rising upon the people of Israel. But we have to recognize that it is not a created light. 
Okay, it's not simply the sun coming to end the night, but we see, as Isaiah says, it is God's glory, it is God's honor, it is this abundance and weightiness of God which shines forth. It's kabod. But we see that as we go farther down, there's a shift. Because remember, the glory of the Lord there has past or present tense, not the present tense, perfect tense. Perfect tense is a past action with a present result. Okay, That's what a perfect tense refers to. Sorry for the grammar, those of you who have been out of school for far too long, um, but that's so you understand what's kind of going on. But there's a shift from that perfect tense to now the future tense, okay? From Isaiah's perspective, the Lord will rise upon you. And so in one sense, he says, the Lord has risen upon you. In the other sense, he says, the Lord will rise upon you. How is it that Isaiah can say this in the span of a couple of sentences? Well, let's see. God has risen. When we see they have received, they have seen the glory of God in the past. For instance, the Exodus. They saw God's glory. The God's glory had had risen upon them and had set them free from Egypt. And even as they're going through the wilderness, what's one of the the key things that is brought there? The pillar of cloud by day and light or fire by night who led them. That pillar represented the glory of God localized at that particular point. So they'd seen God's glory, but what Isaiah is also going to get at is you're going to see it again, O Israel. Better this next time. You're going to see because God's glory is going to shine. And you'll now see things. God is constantly uh, portrayed throughout the Psalms, for instance, as light. God is my light and my salvation is a frequent refrain throughout the Psalms. As we see in places like 1 John 1, uh, God is light and in him there is no darkness. And yet his glory, his light is not always seen by us. But again, it was seen in the Exodus. But what is Isaiah looking forward to? This whole section from chapter 40 on is talking about this great servant of the Lord who would arise. This great servant of the Lord who would come. He's speaking about the arrival of the servant of the Lord who is known as Messiah. Hence, the name of Handel's peace, the Messiah. And so what Isaiah is really captivated by, uh, similar to what we saw in 1 Peter, the the Spirit of Christ is, is working within Isaiah as a prophet, and he longs to understand what he's actually speaking about. He's speaking about the birth and the earthly ministry of Jesus, who is going to be the Messiah. 
Jesus, of, of whom John speaks in the first chapter of his gospel, verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then verse 14, and the world became flesh, sorry, the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he is the glory of the only eternal Son of God, and this glory is revealed in the fullness of grace and truth that are found in Jesus. Jesus, who later on in that gospel in chapter 8, would declare himself to be the light of the world. He's not just making a bold claim about him as a man, but he is, in fact, taking up a divine name, as we see from the Psalms. He's claiming to be the eternal Son, fully God, as well as fully man. And one of the things that John tries to communicate to us in that first chapter of his gospel is that the light has come and the darkness has tried to overcome him. And in fact, for a moment it looked like it had. If we think about the crucifixion, uh, what happened? Well, Jesus died. But what happened? Darkness covered the land for three hours. It was the middle of the day, but it became as night. While he was enduring the penalty for our sin, darkness covered the earth. It was as if he was consumed, that he, the light, was covered that he, the light, was extinguished, that he, the life, was exterminated. And so we see, sort of borrowing from uh, theologian John Murray, as we think about redemption, that okay, used as light, redemption accomplished, We see Jesus who's covered in darkness, bearing the curse in order to give us the light of life. We see that this redemption is then applied to us because as it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, God shines his light into our hearts so that we may see his glory in Jesus and believe. And so until that moment when God shines his light into our hearts, oh, they are covered in darkness, full of ignorance, pursuing sin, blinded by Satan is what Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 4. But Satan can't stop the God who says, let there be light. And when he shines his light into a person's heart, they finally see the glory of God in Jesus and believe. And redemption is not simply accomplished, but applied to particular people. But we also find in the scriptures this uh, light anticipated 
For instance, in Revelation 21, well, I say that, but next week I'll talk about how Isaiah says the same thing. Okay, it's already, what we're going to find in Revelation 21 is in Isaiah. So anticipated, the full glory of God in Zion. The new Jerusalem. Where there's not going to be sun or moon, but the Lord will provide, His glory will provide light 24-7. We can't even use those terms with respect to that. Because it's going to be always day and never night. No cause to fear. No cause to tremble. No cause for confusion. He, the Father and the Son, together, will provide all the light that we need. We will live in and we will live by the light of the Father and Son for all eternity, and darkness shall plague the earth no more. And so the glory of the Son arises bringing salvation, which leads us to, so what? What does this mean today? We see that in verses 1 and 3. Because this begins with a command. A command that is given to the people of God. Arise, shine. Okay. This is not speaking of Jesus. This is not speaking about the glory of God. Arise and shine for your light has come. Precisely because Messiah has come, the people of God are therefore supposed to arise and shine. In other words, not only did the light shine on them, they were also intended to shine. You have to think of it this way. The moon. Does the moon have any light of its own? No. We only see the moon because the sun shines upon the moon. But we don't just see the moon, right? It's not just an object in the sky, uh, but the, the moon reflects light from the sun to the earth, and so we see, oftentimes, by the light of the moon, right? That's why I like walking during the full moon as opposed to a quarter moon, particularly in those months when the snakes like to come out and hang around on the sidewalks. <laughs> Okay, I like to be able to see what I'm going to step on and not carry a flashlight. And I'm able to do that by the light, the, re, the reflected light of the sun by the moon. And so because of the sun, we not only see the moon at night, but we can see by the light of the moon at night. And that is what Isaiah is getting at. That the glory of the Lord will reflect off of his people. It will not simply spotlight his people so that others can see his people, but it bounces off of them so that others can see by this light. For instance, Isaiah 58, of which uh, Rick read already this morning, uh, we see uh, that holiness is one of the ways in which that light shines. 
we, we recognize uh, that, the, that people see the glory of God when God's people live in a way that is suitable for their call. We begin to bear the image of Jesus, who is, in fact, the light of the earth. And part of what I want us to grasp and understand this morning is that the the gospel is powerful to remove the pollution and the practice of sin that's in our lives over time. He dispels that darkness that we talked about, that spiritual darkness, Think of it this way, in a sense. Maybe this will be helpful. I don't know. Facebook ads, they're glorious, aren't they? They seem to be omnipresent. And sometimes for things you never thought you ever wanted. And you don't know why they're there. But one that has been plaguing me lately is one for a product called Shine. That product produces... Electrolyzed, yeah, I have trouble with that word. Electrolyzed water to clean your toilet. (laughs) No more brushes, no more scrubbing, no more harsh chemicals. It does something to with electricity to the water that you can tell Alexa clean the toilet, and Alexa will clean the toilet through this product. Shine. And so their slogan is, let shine take care of the dirtiest job in your home. Right? I submit to you. If you come to our house, they're done the old-fashioned way, and they're done well. So um, my wife likes a clean toilet. Our hearts, however, are more polluted by sin than toilets can ever ever become. And there's no product that simply electrolyzes water, but it is the blood of Jesus himself, which alone can cleanse it, but it gets it cleaner than shine ever could get a toilet. Because shine only does um, marginally better than the old-fashioned way. The blood of Christ works perfectly. There's no sin too big, no sin too stubborn that he cannot remove from the human heart. That he cannot remove the guilt, that he cannot ultimately remove the practice, and that he will remove the corruption thereof. And this fits into this idea that we have been chosen and redeemed in order to be holy and blameless in his sight for the world so that they can see something of Jesus. To which we get verse 3, and the nations shall come to your light. It's through the reflected light of God's people that they ultimately come to God himself. In other words, our light is intended to be not just our holiness, but a witness. We shine. We're supposed to shine for witness to the world. We're not supposed to hide his glory in our lives. We're intended to testify 
And we see a glimpse of this in Philippians chapter 2. One of, we're going to start with one of those phrases that no one likes to hear. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. In other words, holy. That you might be holy. Where are you going to be holy? Paul continues, in the midst of a crooked and twisted or perverted generation. In darkness. Among whom you shine as light in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. Witness. We're holy in the midst of a dark place to bear witness to the true source of life who is Jesus, not ourselves. So that, Paul continues, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And so as we hold forth this word, I want you to recognize heralds do one thing. Okay, maybe they do two. They declare the truth. They might answer some questions about that truth that they have declared. But what heralds are not supposed to be doing is arguing, disputing. And so evangelism isn't really about arguing people into the kingdom. It's declaring the truth that our God reigns. That Jesus has conquered by the cross, sin and death, and now reigns. And we can answer questions about that, but if it starts to get to be arguing, it's probably time to stop. We recognize that not everyone is going to receive the truth that we're proclaiming. For instance, when we go to Exodus, one of the last plagues is that of darkness. And what's interesting about that plague is that is one of the ones where there was a distinction made between Israel and Egypt. And so Egypt was dark, (laughs) impenetrably dark, and yet the people of Israel and Goshen had light. Not everyone can see the light. In fact, no one can see the light until, back to that 2 Corinthians 4 thing, God shines it in their heart. And then they move from Egypt to Israel in the blink of an eye. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, if the light... Is, has shone upon you, shine in holiness and witness so the nations walk in his light. Well, physical darkness is used as a metaphor for the ignorance, the chaos, the corruption that is produced by Adam's sin. 
This darkness does, in fact, continue to cover the earth. It covers the nations and Israel. Humanity could not, humanity cannot, and will not overcome this darkness. In fact, God had to act just as he had done in creation. The sun is sent to not only be the light of the world, but rather to endure the darkness in order to save his people from it. And as he shines upon us, we begin to shine too, reflecting his holiness and as being a witness to the world that is still enveloped in darkness. And so our big idea is that Jesus dispels the darkness in bringing salvation. Let's pray. Father, uh, help us to continue to think on these things, particularly as next week we look at this a little more, investigate it more thoroughly. But right now, help us to rejoice. That is John Newton saying, I once was blind, but now I see. And so for those of us for whom that is true, help us to rejoice in that amazing grace. Help us to testify to that amazing grace. And help us to become more like Jesus because of that amazing grace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.